Hi there, Tyler Buckingham here, and I want to thank you for supporting Coastal News Today and the American Shoreline Podcast Network. As part of our effort to improve our content and expand our audience, we'd love it if you could take 10 minutes and let us know more about you and how we can bring the best possible coastal content to you in the future. I promise it's quick and easy. Just go to CoastalNewsToday.com to find the survey. Thank you so much. Hey guys, this is Peter Ravella, publisher of Coastal News Today and co-host of the American Shoreline Podcast with Tyler Buckingham. So I wanted to tell you, we've got some really amazing content coming up that you need to pay attention to. We're going to be screening a documentary film called Entangled, and it's done by a Pulitzer Prize winning journalist who's been on ASP a couple of times, David Abel, who's a journalist with the Boston Globe. This, ladies and gentlemen, is the definitive story of the North Atlantic right whale and the lobster fishery in the Gulf of Maine in this incredibly difficult and complex coastal issue. So this film is coming up October 22nd. You should be part of it. David Abel will be in the discussion before the film. Get your tickets. Go to CoastalNewsToday.com and you'll see Entangled. Get your tickets. And this is the October 22nd. It's going to be the best thing coming up this fall. The right whale is an extraordinary creature. It's really one of the wonders of the living world. But if something in our management doesn't change, the direction of the population points to zero, and that's extinction. The North Atlantic right whale is considered one of the most endangered species on the planet. This will be the first large whale in modern history that would go extinct. of the right whale population now bears scars that indicate entanglement injury. This was a big problem, and it's an urgent problem. It's a tragedy that we're losing the right whales. It's emblematic of large-scale changes that are happening on the planet. Human beings can exist without biodiversity, and this is maybe a harbinger of where we're going. We need to put as much pressure as we can on the agency to step up and take action right now. I don't think the urgency can be overstated. Human action is killing these whales, and human action has the ability to save them. Lobstermen are stewards of the sea, and they don't want to entangle anything. I sat here and listened to environmentalist after environmentalist tell me what a murderous individual I am. My opinion about the whales is fuck them. What more can we do? Eventually, they're going to die off. It's going to happen no matter what. As your governor, I will do everything I can to defend Maine's lobster industry in the face of this absurd federal overreach. The challenge is to find ways for the fishing industry and the right whales to coexist in the same waters. Noah is the fox scouting the chicken coop. You're going to be fired for being a liar and a person who works to kill off the right whale. One of the problems is that fisheries are one of the main factors that are endangering protected species. You end up with one organisation deeply conflicted with its mission. Hi, 
Hi, this is uh, Dan Martin with the next episode of uh, Next Gen Waterfronts, and I have with me today two uh, extraordinary people who have got a, a great gig going a little north of, of uh, Seattle, Washington, and that is the port of Everett, Everett, Washington. And with me are, uh, are Terry Bacciuello and uh, Catherine Soper, who are with the port. And uh, if, uh, if each of you want to introduce yourself briefly with just a line or two, that would, I would appreciate it. Go ahead. Thank you, uh, Dan. I'm, I'm Terry Bacciuello, as you said, uh, with the Port of Everett, and I'm responsible for real estate and economic development strategies. Hi, Dan. Catherine Soper. Um, I work with Terry greatly um, here at the waterfront, and I handle all of our communications and all of the great public access and tourism and waterfront events we have going on down here at the waterfront. Well, I, my, I was, I have to say what, what brought my attention to the Port of Everett was a friend of mine, Ken, in Seattle, but, um, but what I find really interesting about the Port of Everett is that it is a really interesting balance. Uh, I shouldn't say it is a really, I have to demonstrate that to you uh, listeners, but it is a, it will be a, an interesting balance of commercial port type activities, what you would normally associate with the port, but also a lot of urban development that's happening on the Everett waterfront, which, uh, uh, which I'm going to ask, uh, ask uh, uh, Terry and Catherine to describe. Um, and and that, those activities include the largest public marina on the West Coast, uh, second largest overall, and uh, uh, a new hotel built and new on planning and uh, housing, uh, restaurants, uh, beautiful outdoor uh, walking areas. Um, but at the same time, they're handling uh, significant shipping and they are uh, one of the major, if not the major way that things get to Boeing, uh, the Boeing factories there in Snohomish County. Um, if, uh, if you could, if you could uh, give me a, Terry, maybe if you could give me a brief history of how we got to now and, uh, and, and whether I got anything wrong in my sort of tease as to what you've become. Uh, thank you, Dan. Uh, no, I think you uh, pretty much gave a really good elevator pitch to what's going on at the Port of Everett here for the last hundred years. We just celebrated our centennial, and um, the port has been operating here at the Everett waterfront and parts of Muckleteo and Marysville, uh, our cities adjacent, uh, for some time. And um, we have three major business lines, um, but our our it's easier to understand what the port does by talking about what our mission is, which we are a um, agency uh, mandated under the state to provide economic development to the district that we serve. And that means job creation, quality jobs, uh, jobs that provide a family wage and uh, the tax base, uh, expanding the tax base through job creation and business uh, development. So uh, creating new firms and supporting those that exist ex to expand. Um, the marina is our recreational uh, business. It is about a break-even uh, business, but it is an important part of the history and culture of the Everett waterfront where we've had shipbuilding and commercial fishing and recreational boating probably since the time uh, that the port was first established or even before that. Um, mm -hmm. We do have a wonderful uh, collection of history on our, our website uh, that is a retelling of the 100-year history. But some of the real important highlights was that the Rockefeller family was one of the first investors in the area to invest mm -hmm. in um, wood product mills here. Of course, there was a lot of first growth 
beautiful uh, timbers here. And uh, there was uh, shake making and wood product manufacturing. Warehouser has had a strong presence here for a long time. And um, Kimberly Clark uh, had a mill here until uh, about five or six years ago. Uh, where they manufactured their toilet paper, which um, about one in four people worldwide wise, uh, wide used as a, a product. So Kimberly Clark was here. Um, so there was been a lot of mills. In fact, we had been referred to in the area as a mill, mill town. Um, but over the last 35 years or so, about a third of the port's history, uh, we've uh, developed a mandate around environmental cleanup and creating recreational access to the waterfront. Um, you know, Everett, like many communities in Washington, there's so much beauty and natural uh, waterfront and scenic uh, areas that in many of the industrial areas, the community turned its back to the waterfront. And such was the case here in Everett because it was a bunch of smokestacks and mills, uh, which did produce a lot of jobs and had a city build up around it, but uh, wasn't the most scenic thing. So over the last 30 years, the port has worked collaboratively with the Department of Ecology and grants coming through the state and feds for cleanup. So we've cleaned up over 230 acres and we're working on the next 57 acre piece right now to clean up the waterfront and repurpose it. Um, along with the environmental mission, uh, we are restoring a massive river estuary that was turned into agricultural land back in the 40s. And now will be about a four or five hundred acre um, wetlands mitigation where where we will flood that agricultural land and uh, bring back the, the the properties needed for the fish. Another huge benefit of that is that the estuary environment, that ecosystems provides more carbon uh, reduction uh, functions than even a forest. So it's a multitude, exponentially higher. Um, and this estuary will help restore salmon, et cetera. So the port is um, in that project. We are selling mitigation credits to other projects so that we can consolidate a very large estuary ever area and restore it. So um, that's called the Blue Heron Slough. We've also got the Union Slough. We're here on the Snohomish County or the Snohomish River, and these estuaries have uh, were converted to agricultural areas long ago. So those estuary areas um, are a very important part of our future. Is is, uh, is that is, would that be a saltwater estuary? It's very brackish. Um, it is tidally influenced, so it's uh, very important waters to the fish. Um, and to the uh, the ecology of the of the river, and the um, we're on what's called Port Gardner Bay, but we're in the Puget Sound. Um, this is an area that is very famous for being uh, where Captain Vancouver harbored his ship when he was exploring um, in the Age of Discovery. Um, we've got a very rich cultural tribal heritage. Um, uh, those tribes are consolidated together under the um, Tulalip tribes now, but there were a lot of tribes here originally on the shores, you know, taking their uh, substance from the, the sea. So uh, that river is really important in the history. And then as history evolved, then of course we had a lot of commerce, um, a lot of uh, wood product uh, and commercial fishing, um, 
all that has used the river as a important part of our uh, of our economy. Um, and now, yeah, it is a brackish river, so it 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 we are on the mouth of the river, and uh, that means we have to dredge our channels a lot, which is a huge cost and uh, operational problem. But the estuary uh, is tidally influenced, so when the tides change in the Puget Sound. Uh, at least a mile up the river, uh, we get salt water. So, um, so, so actually, that I, I think you've helped in another way too. And that is, I was going to ask you where you're located, and and effectively you're on Puget Sound, but I think there's an island just off of off of your coastline. And, well, and if you, a if you stand islands. On, <laughs> yeah. Ah, okay. So, so tell me what you what you see in in the area. Like, if you were a hundred feet up in the air. Uh, what would you see around around your port, and how far are you from Seattle? I know a lot of people use that as a benchmark on the uh, on the Washington coast. We're about twenty or twenty five miles north of Seattle, and we're about the same distance or a little farther, maybe forty five minutes from the Canadian uh, border with British Columbia, Vancouver, Canada. Um, and we are right on the Puget Sound. We're not on the ocean. If you've looked at a United States map, you can see how there's a very large uh, um, sound that comes in. And in the middle of that are the San Juan Islands and the Kitsap Peninsula. We're on the mainland of Washington State, but we're looking out into that area that you see up in the northwest corner of the country where there's a little tab that sticks out in the map and um, we are right on this beautiful Puget Sound uh, compared uh, a lot to uh, Chesapeake Bay um, and the areas around Virginia, uh, very, uh, very scenic. But we also are on, are on the Pacific Rim of the world, which means that we have volcanoes. Um, and so uh, Mount Baker uh, is here. And then we have a lot of uh, tectonic activity, so we're right uh, between two ridge lines, the Olympics and the Cascade Mountain Ranges. Um, and then the islands that you spoke of, um, there are the Canadian Gulf Islands and the United States San Juan Islands, all in all, more than a thousand islands that you can jump off to from our marina. Well, no, no wonder you have such a large and successful marina because there's a lot to explore. Yes. Um, that's, 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 really, that's really cool. That would be a wonderful place to go out in a boat and, and uh, spend a place. It, do, do many people actually live on boats in your marina? Do you permit that? Mm -hmm. Yes, we do have a limited number of, of um, vessels, and they have to uh, follow strict guidelines so that they don't pollute the, the bay. They can't you know, overboard any uh, brown or gray water. Um, uh, Terry, one of, the, one of the things that I, I, I really noticed about your uh, your port uh, is, and, and you had a great line, uh, something, and I'm going to embarrass you here by saying, you know, when, when, when you've seen one port, you've seen one port. In other words, you haven't seen them all. And, and that is that, that all ports are, are really quite different from one another. What's, what's interesting about your port, though, is, is that it seems to have a diversity of activities going on in that you have, uh, right now, you've got real estate development on those 200 plus acres. Um, you know, you have a new hotel that's been built. You're looking at apartments. You've already got, uh, you've already got residential in place. Um, and, uh, and I think we touched on the, uh, on the idea of festivals a moment ago, too. In, in terms of festivals, do you actually have a formal festival ground, or are you at the point now? And I, I'm thinking of Milwaukee in that case, because the Port of Milwaukee has a really great festival ground. 
um, or 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 is it is it sort of the land that isn't being used right now that is being used for the festivals? Yes. Um, well, we we at one point we as uh, soon as we had cleared away all the older facilities and stuff, we had a larger area that was just open grass area. Um, but uh, Kat and I work very hard to gear our, the scale of our events for the future. We want to build a, a season of events that can stay here for a very, very long time. And so the events that really need to be on like a fairgrounds uh, we've actually been sort of moving those off. In fact, we just graduated the Everett Farmers Market to the downtown so that it could expand. It had gone from 35 vendors to 260 vendors. And so, That's we were, yeah, we were no longer able to accommodate it. Now it's just blocks away and uh, doing very well. Um, but our events are geared towards uh, the size of the ground. So, um, it's been a specifically uh, this year during the virus, a specific challenge. Uh, so we're having more sort of static type events and Kat is doing a book walk, which is sort of like an art walk, but about books. Um, and we're doing various art installations and uh, we're working on a project to do hydroglyphics, which are uh, uh, painting the, the concrete with sealants. So it only shows up when it rains. And I'm sure you're aware that Washington State gets its fair share of rain. So for all our walkers, they would, you know, have magically have designs and phrases appear. So we're working on, on that. But for the festivals themselves, we have them wrap around the, the three docks of the marina, the three major facilities, sort of like a ribbon and spread out and, and sort of... Um, be integrated into with our uh, regular businesses. Um, we do have uh, a large two acre park that Kat puts a uh, sail in cinema, which is a, a drive-in movie for boating. Uh, and what we do all summer on Friday nights, we have concerts, we have a major art festival. There are many walks and marathons. Uh, we have some of the largest fishing derbies. In fact, one was last week at the very end of um, beginning of September, uh, one of the largest salmon derbies in the country. Um, so we, we want to make sure that the events we're putting here will be here for many generations to come. So we try to create them so they're scaled to our facilities as they will be built out in the future. Oh, that makes sense. And, and actually, uh, I, I kind of want to go in, in at least two directions here. One is, is, is what is the future? What are you hoping to build out? And then the other is there is still a living, breathing, uh, very active port that is going on there in the traditional sense. Um, and, and, and so I'd like to touch first on what's your development program and how are you doing on it? And then secondly, um, how is the port operating and, and what actually happens at the Port of Everett? Because as, as I understand it, um, it isn't just another container port. It actually has has the ability to handle all sorts of special loads, uh, and it needs to because of the customers that it has inland. So, if you don't mind starting with the uh, with the development program, um, what what it includes and and how far are you getting on it? Yeah, I'd be happy to. Uh, ironically, when I was going over the business lines of the port, I left out real estate, which is my my main uh, responsibility, and. Um, 
my job is to manage all the ports, uh, 3,000 acres of land that we have on the waterfront. And uh, the strategy of the port is to um, make sure that we have what we call a balanced waterfront, which means that a good portion of our area is dedicated to industrial which means that, and these are cleaner in industries than what we've seen in the past, not as, uh, not as much of a, a, a aesthetic issue for our community, but these are jobs that are created in the, the, the industrial world. And uh, as we will touch on later, the terminal is a mainstay of that program. Um, but on the other properties we had, uh, the port had several properties that we have worked to convert from brownfields, environmentally impaired properties to jobs. We've just completed Riverside Business Park, which was a 95 acre uh, development with some of that uh, submerged. So it ended up being around 70 developable acres. And with that, we've created around 700 new jobs for our community on a, a former mill site. And um, we have had a strategy there to surplus the land so that we could attract major industrial developers like Panatani and um, major employers like Amazon and Zodiac. Um, and so we're really proud of that facility. That's over on the river side. Uh, we're on sort of a peninsula um, in our city. Um, and then we have another property that we cleaned up called the Baywood site, and that will actually transfer to a private owner in 2021 and a 250 uh, employee industrial area will be built. But in terms of mixed use and more sort of commercial recreationally focused, um, we are uh, building out a about 100 acres of central marina uplands. And uh, in that area, we're building 1.5 million square feet. Now, I will point out that it's not a wasteland of nothing here. We have um, a lot of restaurants. We have um, about 600 jobs or so here now. Um, but what we're doing is an infill project to, to repurpose lands that were formerly used as industrial as mixed use. And our goal with this is to create convenient access for all of the public to the waterfront and to create a destination that really tells the story of the history and culture of Everett. So a very unique project focused on our history and depicted by our buildings and parks and open spaces. So we are in the first phase of that construction. Uh, the hotel recently opened a year ago, Hotel Indigo, part of the Intercontinental uh, Hotel chain. And sea um, uh, level development in Graycorp, uh, Graycorp being one of the largest uh, apartment developers on the West Coast, uh, they are building a 266 unit luxury apartments. Um, and uh, those are under construction now. They'll be opening in mid to late 2021. Uh, the final phase of Fisherman's Harbor, um, we've already built 30 million dollars in infrastructure, including a beautiful splash fountain and park called the Pacific Rim Plaza and an esplanade and wharf project for open space. But the the, net, the last piece of it is to build the retail. As you know, uh, retail follows rooftops. 
And so we plan to have that retail opening with the housing development and would be restaurants and retailers, maybe a, a dog or pet oriented store. We definitely want to see wine sales here. Uh, we are more of a distillery community. We've got Blue Water Distillery here, which is manufacturing the fourth finest gin in the world, uh, an organic gin that they make here on the site. And um, so we're more of a distillery site. We hope to have more of that. Um, but there will be about five retail buildings in the first phase. There are two other phases. Uh, the second phase will include uh, two more waterfront restaurants and about 400 more housing units. These might be more condos or townhomes, but definitely larger units. They're out at the west end of the dock. Uh, this is property, as I've explained, the views here is very unique. Um, so these will be very desirable homes. And uh, we will spread out the um, boxcar park, which is the second mm -hmm. regional park, two acre park. Um, it will have an amphitheater and a live performance stage. It has a uh, historical building we call the Weyerhaeuser Muse. That is a Gothic building that was uh, used to display Weyerhaeuser's mini uh, ornate uh, sort of gingerbread for their houses and we had that house relocated to this park to serve as a marina play, playhouse uh, for the park. Um, Boxcar Park will also have a perched beach, which is a beach that perches above the water because the river's current will not allow you to have a beach on the water or in the water, but it will give you a sense of being at a beach. It will have, you know, volleyball and badminton and uh, beach fires and, and that kind so and then there's a the uh, amphitheater serves as a stunt kite flying uh, uh, venue. Um, and then there is also a children's park that is uses naturalized features as play features. Uh, this is uh, bridges and mounds with uh, imitation tide pool areas to educate children on the the uh, marine environment and where, where they are is is. Is there is there a um, uh, uh, is is there a, what is the process that you went through to to develop this plan? Yeah, it's it's called a it's a master development plan, and we have a development agreement with the city of Everett. And under Washington State Growth Management Law, uh, the development agreement came out forward uh, in, through statute as a tool. Uh, for governmental jurisdiction to give zoning uh, benefits or, or uh, variances to their zoning if certain public investments were made or public benefits resulted. And so the port went through a fairly lengthy uh, process of developing a, a master plan. Um, the port wanted to be its own master planner because it had, had you know, back in the time of the 2008 session, it had some projects that failed to launch. And so they charged of this project and we had more specific uh, goals. I would call it a triple bottom line where we want the project to produce revenue for the port to keep the port stable. Uh, as I have mentioned, a terminal business, uh, they are very cyclical. And so uh, for a port to have a continuous and stable operation, it needs a foundation of funding coming in. Uh, we get very little tax. We're probably the, the smallest uh, taxing 
jurisdiction and our, our smallest amount of money that we charge. So most of our money comes from our business lines. So that real estate money is really important um, to us. The American Shoreline Podcast Network and CoastalNewsToday.com are brought to you by LJA Engineering. With 28 offices along the Gulf Coast, the folks at LJA Engineering are at the top of the craft in the areas of coastal restoration, coastal infrastructure, rivers and channels, numerical modeling, disaster recovery, and design and construction oversight. Be sure to check out their brand new Coastal Resilience Department, headed up by ASPN's own Peter Ravella. Find them at LJA.com. Coastal Transplants. Coastal Transplants offers high-quality native and wetland plants, extensive agricultural and horticultural experience, and the skilled and respectful crews to get your project built. Make Coastal Transplants your one-stop solution for restoring the dune and wetland ecology of your home or barrier island. Learn more at CoastalTransplants.com. Dune Science Group. Did you know that fiberglass is one of the strongest and most durable building materials in the world? That it is resistant to deterioration caused by UV light and salt water? Well, the Dune Science Group does. They offer a full slate of solutions for dune walkovers and boardwalks that are made of fiberglass and built to last. They handle your dune walkover project from beginning to end, including permitting, design, and construction of the strongest and most durable dune walkover on the market. Learn more at dunesciencegroup.com. And be sure to subscribe to the Coastal News Today Daily Blast newsletter at coastalnewstoday.com for daily updates on the events and news that shape the coastal discussion. Want to support the discussion and promote your company? We have sponsorship packages available now. Email me to learn more at chloe at coastalnewstoday.com. That's C-H-L-O-E at coastalnewstoday.com. Hope to hear from you and enjoy the show. And and actually, uh, one thing I think people might be curious about are how did you fund the uh, the remediation of the land? Uh, because you've had to do that with these old mill properties, and and uh, and you know, frankly, where do you, where do you get the startup capital? How do you uh, how do you how do you entice developers to uh, to come to take a look at this property? Particularly because you know it is now attractive and increasingly attractive as more development happens. But it's historically been something that was, frankly, I think you once told me was unseen. You couldn't even see it uh, because it was, you, you know, Everett was separated from, like so many communities, was separated from its own waterfront. Yeah. Um, so the funding for projects like that, there's a federal Brownsfield program that's administrated by the uh, EPA and usually passed through to the State Department of Ecology. Um, every state does it differently. Um, but we have developed a very strong relationship um, under the Puget Sound Initiative with the Department of Ecology, and we have been a recipient of grants and loans from the Department of Ecology. Generally speaking, those those grants are 50%. We've been very fortunate recently to receive a 90% grant for a project to naturalize a beach down at Baywood uh, to return it to a, a, a really good uh habitat. Um, so we, we generally get the ecology money. And then our, our seed money, if you will, um, I mentioned the cyclical nature of terminals, and we have a baseline of funding needed to maintain our fixed operating costs. And I would call it one-time money from the peak of the cycles of the terminal. As we uh, see huge increases in the trade economy and we get new revenues. I think back in 2013, we're at a very strong peak and we accumulated um, 
uh, money from from uh, those operations, and we're able to redeploy those monies. I've also mentioned that we've sold properties. Uh, we have uh, had a strategy to aggregate our holdings into one area and to surplus properties that we have scattered throughout. So um, we've had we've probably brought in uh, 15 million in land sales. Uh, additionally, we are we are leveraging up. Um, we had had a very low debt ratio, and uh, we are using uh, private sector type methods and practices to develop performa for every project we do, so that we know we have a desired return on investment. We weigh the risk, and so those business lines uh, are a source of funding for us. Um, and the the trick is not to spend it all and not have anything to say for it. So it's a it's an ongoing process to make sure that we're creating a legacy and an endowment for the future. Um, we've recently started focusing on what are our long term, what is the next generation of port employer employees going to be able to develop because we had quite a great legacy of, uh, although environmentally impaired, it has kept us busy for the last 35 years. So now we are looking at um, expanding our industrial development district, which would allow us access to industrially marginal properties uh, throughout the uh, district uh, that we could uh, obtain through in foreclosure. Um, we are also partnering with uh, adjacent communities, Arlington and Marysville, have a major economic center called the Cascade Industrial uh, Center, and it's 4,000 acres of industrial land, about half of it vacant land, um, and we're seeing a lot of development going in there. We are partnering with those two cities on economic development. The most recent announcement in the CIC was um, a, a modern foundry uh, for CCAST, and their primary funding partner and customer is Blue Origin, which is Jeff Bezos' space exploration uh, company. Um, so we're seeing, uh, in fact, there was a big transaction this week where another um, company that focuses on space exploration has uh, relocated to our area. So we're seeing a new cluster crop up there. Of course, we have aerospace. Um, but uh, we also have a large cluster of um, maritime and oceanic research and a cluster of, um, of um, instrumentation and fabrication. Uh, we have wood products. We have food processing. It is a robust economy here in Washington state, and uh, we have a very strong trade relationship with, as I said, the Pacific Rim, which is where our port brings a lot of uh, a freight in. And um, I think it would be great if Kat could talk about the terminal. I, I think I think I think you've done a great job of turning the corner. So uh, but I do want to come back to some of the the ideas as as to how you're you're uh, working with uh, land leases and in some cases fee simple. But uh, but yeah, let's talk about about your terminal operations, because um, because uh, you you bring in some interesting stuff. This isn't your garden variety uh, box terminal. Yeah. Um, so thanks, Dan, for that. Uh, we here are very unique in uh, Washington and especially in Everett here. Um, as you mentioned, I think we chatted the other day about, you know, when you see ships and you think of ships, you see all these colorful boxes. Um, and that's not really what you see here in Everett. Um, we're very 
we're very unique. So although we are the third largest container port in Washington state out of 75 ports here, um, we're a distant third. We uh, will take the bronze medal for that, but um, we're not as focused on the consumer goods and commodity goods that you would typically see in the larger ports of Seattle and Tacoma, our neighbors. Um, we have a niche here that focuses more on the high and heavy, what we call break bulk cargoes. And a lot of this cargo is very high value, high and overdimensional product. So what you'll see at the Port of Everett is we handle all of the oversized aerospace components, ocean going from Japan um, for the aerospace manufacturing plant up the road um, for the 747, 767, the 777, and as well as the 777X. Um, so that keeps us busy uh, weekly, just about. And then we, we take on a lot of unique projects. So the types of cargoes you see here, maybe, uh, you know, when windmill blades were uh, and wind plants farms were going up all over the place, we were handling um, really large windmill blades. We took in one of the largest windmill blades of, North, of all of North America. So uh, we, we really are known for our out-of-the-box stuff. One of the most recent projects we just completed was all of the steel for the Washington State Convention Center. So handling these components that come out of a container, um, more industrial pieces, uh, manufacturing, energy. We, you know, really our roots came about, as Terry mentioned earlier, um, with the mills, we did a lot of wood product and we've kind of seen that all but dry up recently. Um, but, you know, it's still our roots here. So those are the types of products you see in our Everett Harbor. Um, and, and what makes us unique, as Terry mentioned, this is really part of our balanced waterfront concept. So on the south end of our waterfront, we have our, our workhorse, our seaport that does this international shipping every single day uh, that brings in and out cargoes. And that really funds about 60% of our revenue stream. That really helps us, allows us to build out the recreational waterfronts um, and, and all of those parks that Terry was talking about at Waterfront Place. Um, and I think that the heritage that comes into those projects that we can share our story is our story of the Pacific Rim and all of these connections that we have in the Pacific Rim. Um, I think I should mention the seaport, it, you know, with all of these cargoes that we're handling, we really have a huge impact on the economy. We bring in about $21 billion worth of imports and exports annually. That's fifth, um, it ranks fifth on the whole West Coast of ports. So we're, we, are, we may be small here in Everett, but we sure are mighty. That it sure sounds that. How do, you, how do you balance all, and to use your word again, balance, how do you balance all of these different um, these different uses? Because you know, on one hand, we're talking about residential and retail and and festivals. On the other hand, we're talking about gigantic um, the gigantic blades of uh, windmills coming in. Um, are the port operations proximate? Or are they close to um, to the, the the human activity? Or how do you keep them separate? Uh, or or do you even try to keep them separate? Because there is something. Some of the ports I've been to, a lot of their beauty lies in in just these incredible activities going on so close to where people are. I mean, as someone that works at a port, I'm a, a maritime nerd, uh, you can call me. Um, a lot of family members I have work in the maritime industry. It's very interesting. So I wouldn't say that our operations are closed off. We like them open so people can see them. However, we, we understand appropriate public access. We realize that, you know, there is a time and place for, you know, green space, which 
Terry is doing a great job developing at the recreational waterfront, and there are some viewpoints and uh, access points uh, around the seaport, although not very sexy in nature because, you know, there are secured fences around them. And so uh, we do try to do bus tours and harbor tours to ensure that the community can really get in and see their working port. Um, I manage that program, and we've done that for 10 years. Uh, this year is the first year, actually, um, that we haven't been able to do that due to COVID. But, you know, we try to do behind-the-scene videos and really let people see the connection to their waterfront because, as I mentioned, it is 60% of our revenues. It's, it's a really important piece. We also neighbor Naval Station Everett. So we have this delineation. We have the south waterfront that's really the workhorse. It's our maritime facilities. It's... Um, not as accessible to the public. But then we have on our north waterfront, all of these industrial developments that incorporate appropriate public access. We have Terry's uh, 65 acre waterfront place development that has two regional parks, um, all of which tell the story of the history and tie back to our ties down at the seaport. So I think it, I guess they all play at the same time. Um, I would say they all play it in separate courts and they all do their own thing for the community. So I think we balance it well. But it's definitely a unique, unique mix here at the Port of Everett. Now this is this is kind of a question for, for both of you, but um, but how do you <clears throat> how do you adjust to the realities of climate change? Because there's nobody more on the front lines of climate change uh, than a port. Um, you know, whether it's for your terminal operations or whether it's for these new places where you're putting people. Uh, you know, right on the front, the front lines of of, uh, of the waterfront. Um, how how do you how do you uh, plan for that? Is it a project by project basis, or do you have an overall sort of climate readiness plan for the for for all of your property? And maybe this is a good time to ask too. Is is there a way to measure the acreage of um, of your of the land you have? Is it so many acres, or is it a lot of separate parcels, so that it's hard to really or it's pointless to really accumulate them all in one number? Yeah, no. Um, if you look at it all as just land holdings uh, in full, we have about thirty three hundred acres of land. About fifteen hundred acres of that is dedicated to public access, so that's our. Uh, Jetty Island is a majority of that. It's a mile long there, um, you know, almost 1,000 acre sandy beach. We have um, our seaport facilities are about 125 acres, I believe, um, of upland. You know, that doesn't include the in-water acreage. And then uh, I'm not sure on the uh, around 250 acres of upland developments here. So a lot of and then we have the Blue Heron Slough, which I know Terry talked about, and that's about 350 acres. Um, the Union Slough is about 75 acres. So in total, we have 3,300 acres of land. Um, and oh, and then how, how I'm thinking, what, what, what were we talking about? Sustainability. So I think, obviously, I'm not the expert on climate change by any means, but we have a very integrated approach here at the port. So we have um, an environmental policy that looks at all of this. We just recently um, were talking about climate at our recent commission meeting because, you know, we've We've known about, you know, sea level rise and and uh, uh, reducing greenhouse gases. And those are all things that we do just generally in our operations. Um, so when, you know, that, that new information came out around the 2012 timeframe, we uh, started looking at how to build up our projects to incorporate sea level rise. And so Terry's done that in her waterfront place development. Everything's built up about three feet. 
um, to accommodate for that. I know our Riverside Business Park has also accommodated for that um, and all of our developments. So it's, it's just ingrained into what we do every single day. It's definitely looked at. Um, we For air emissions reductions, it's really huge for us at the seaport. We're part of a, the Puget Sound Air Emissions Forum. Um, and they do uh, metrics about every five years. And although that our cargo is increasing, we're seeing our uh, air emissions still reducing. So all of the programs that we're putting in place, like green equipment, um, all of our cranes are in our, or our electric cranes. Um, you know, the Blue Heron Slough is going to be a huge, huge piece of this blue carbon initiative. So I think that there's I could talk, you know, sustainability all day long, but essentially as we build out into the future, sustainability is in everything that we're doing because mm -hmm. we're not only are we trying to clean this place up, we're trying to make it better and uh, still be able to operate sustainably into the future. And and I think I think uh, I think they told me that you were in a tsunami zone as well. How, is there any way to prepare for that, or is that just a just a game of odds? Yeah, we um, we are working very closely with the Navy base. Uh, there are alarm early warning systems. So part of it is just a response. We're in an earthquake zone, obviously, uh, sort of the same uh, uh, national incident command response. Uh, we would see about three feet of water. So it, it we would be able to get out of the water with just coming to the second floor. Um, and when we're building, um, one of the big things we've seen in terms of water uh, and sort of applies to tsunami is that um, we're building our parking lots that sort of have a circle out bottom. So uh, for the 100-year storm events, which are actually coming much more closely, the mega storms are really starting to pile up. In fact, last year we had 200-year storms in one day, uh, major flooding. Uh, so in the parking lots are being built uh, below elevation for construction so that they become uh, suitable to pool the water. But uh, one of the really fortunate things for us being on the waterfront is that we're not as affected by runoff uh, because the runoff goes directly into the ocean. So we just have to filter the water as it comes and we uh, don't have to worry so much like in other developments uh, that focus on low impact development to try to filter the water slowly so it's not running into other people's property are actually worthy in uh, extermination zone for the water going into that's a that's a kind of a fascinating point in, in that you know you don't have to control the runoff because you have a place for it to go right away. Is there um, now you, you mentioned the Navy base, which I believe is directly to your south? Um, uh, is 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 there any? Um, do you need to coordinate activities with them in any particular way, or um, or is that a you know I don't know how major of a Navy base or how you would even measure majorness of a Navy base. Um, uh, what's it like being next to a Navy base, I guess, is where the question goes. Yeah, the Navy is a really big part of the, the economy in Washington State. Um, Navy Base Everett is a home port base, um, and they do a lot of training, and we have a, a number of, of ships there, and I'm sure Catherine can talk more about it. But in terms of um, our connection to the, the Navy, many of our employees are former veterans of the Navy. In fact, our last CEO uh, left the port because he was promoted to rear admiral in the reserves. And uh, we had a commissioner who left who was promoted to rear admiral in the reserves. 
So we have a very con- strong connection and uh, respect and appreciation of the, the Navy base. But Kat can tell you more about what's actually there. Well, actually, it's not, it's, it sounds like the way to get a promotion in the uh, Navy Reserves is to go work for the port. But go ahead, Kat. Yeah, so I think um, just... In terms of the Navy base, I mentioned the South Waterfront is really focused on um, the working waterfront, so the maritime operations, the naval operations. Um, Interestingly enough, the Navy base uh, resides on a piece of property that we sold back in the 80s to them um, when they were looking for a home port location, one of 10 home port locations. Um, So it took up one of our uh, main, at the time, uh, terminals there where we used to handle fruit actually. So uh, um, our, our relationship with them has grown so, and how that came to be and why they even saw the strategic value. Um, we are a deep water port naturally. Um, and in the during World War II, the Navy actually came in and took over some of our seaport facilities, the, one, the area that they actually um, purchased in the, in the 80s from us. And so they took that over for a shipbuilding operation. And the idea when that was going on is, you know, maybe the Navy will stay and this will become um, ship repair. And then that didn't actually come to be. And so after after some time, they uh, obviously saw the strategic value in Everett's area. And when they were looking to site their home port, um, they chose Everett. And so it's it's been great to have them as a, a neighbor and a partner. Well, I, I suppose that it also raises a uh raises the importance of, um, of any dredging or any other sort of operations as far as keeping the, uh, the waterways clear to, to your, your property as well, or maybe you're just past it so it doesn't help as much. Yeah, we, this is Terry again. The Sonomish River really dumps out into the recreational waterfront, and we do have some areas that are, that are dredged by the U.S. Army Corps because of the commercial freight on the corridor, but we do have to do a lot of dredging here. Whereas down to the Navy area and south, uh, they, those are natural uh, deep waters. I, you know, we're, we're the home of the octopus in, in uh, Washington State. Puget Sound is very, very deep water naturally. We also have another terminal called the Mount Baker Terminal, which is down in Muckleteo, which is part of the major Boeing infrastructure that we created to uh, support the, the um, um, plant. So we're very integrated with the industry. And, and in terms of the Navy, one of the most recent uh, very exciting developments is we recruited Nickel Brothers to open a shipyard. Uh, the Navy is doing a lot of privatization of their, uh, their work. And so uh, we needed a certified uh, shipyard here. And that shipyard will serve to be a contract location for shipyards uh, operators like uh, Ingalls and General Dynamics and others that will operate here and take on Navy jobs. Um, so that facility, currently around three acres, is likely to expand about 16 acres down in the terminal, which is why we just recently acquired that Kimberly Clark uh, warehouse and the mill site. 57 acres to expand the terminals. And so we're in a major building uh, phase also at the terminals to expand the uplands area and to build out our uh, wharfage so that we can accommodate a thousand foot uh, ship. Um, So I think that ties very good uh, back to your question about how the heck do we do all these things? I would like to say that we have a robust 
staff, but we have about 90 employees. Uh, currently, we're about 10 low because we're in a hiring moratorium related to the COVID. Uh, of those employees, over uh, two thirds of them, or around 60, are maintenance that are working in facilities. And what you're left with is under 30 employees that actually manage and administer these programs. We have a commission of three electeds, we have a CEO, and then we have a chief's executive level with five people. Uh, each, uh, there's two operating chiefs, uh, myself and Carl. Um, we run the main business lines and then the marina has a chief. Um, and then we have a CFO uh, and a planning and engineering. So what I think the secret to sort of picking what we're going to do is in the tempering of our budget and our plans. It's not a decision these days between um, doing what's good or what's bad. It's what opportunity is amazing and what opportunity is simply fantastic. I mean, we just have so many things going on that we're having to make extremely difficult choices. And I think in that sense, having a very small, very experienced, very, I believe, one of the most talented teams I've ever worked with uh, really helps us temper our, uh, our decisions and, and have very authentic conversations about what we're going to do. And, you know, sometimes my project falls off the table for a while. I call it a detour. Others call it an off-ramp. Uh, and then uh, other projects go forward. And, um, we just have to be making those decisions all the time uh, with the outcome, the you know the end the end goals in mind. So it's been it's been tough for the last three or four years as we've sort of had to be more creative in resourcing these projects. Yeah, it it it, it it's it sounds like it, and uh, and actually um, it's kind of uh, I know people often think of public sector agencies as being quite the opposite, which is overstaffed. Um, it sounds like uh, every one of you guys goes in with a full plate every day to, of things to do to get to get all that you've discussed and described to us accomplished. Um, uh, let me ask you if, 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 if you each have kind of a closing thought, and, and let me say I really appreciate your sitting for this interview and uh, and uh, and telling us the story of the Port of Everett because it really is uh, quite a remarkable assemblage of activities uh, and done by a pretty uh, pretty relatively small screw, uh, crew I would say too from what you just said and and uh, and and if you don't mind uh, uh, also giving us your website in case others would like to learn more about you. Sure, I just really appreciate this, Dan, and just see, having the coverage, you know, from. Across the the United States here, you're interested in, you know, small and mighty Everett. We're so appreciative of that. And we have so much going on here that we're very proud of. And we are very excited to bring to this community and to the travelers to this community. Um, we, you know, I think in closing, it, my thoughts would be, I think we are a well-greased machine here that really puts this balanced waterfront concept to good use, you know, making sure that we can ensure that there's this working waterfront that is protected and providing access to the waterfront. So that's our goals, all while creating jobs. Um, we have a great strategic plan that this community is behind, um, and it's very vetted, and they, they helped us 
walk through, you know, our next steps in this future plan. So they're very excited as well. Um, and that's available on our website. Our website link is www.portofeverett.com. And I'll let Terry give her closing thoughts. Yeah, I'm glad that she mentioned the strategic plan because that is the summary of all of our, our ambitions there. Um, I do think that the role of government, particularly in a pandemic, is to be courageous in our decision making, take chances to improve the economy, uh, to be watchful for the success of our, our business partners. Um, and I think the port has done a very good job and serves as a, a good example of that. We have a portfolio of 45 tenants here at the waterfront. All of them have stayed current on their rent and are still in business. And that strategic plan is a really good uh, document. It's called the Next 100. Um, really tells the story of what we think is important and how we're trying to key up the future. So uh, very appreciative also of your interest in our port. It is a very interesting port. But as I said, one port, you've met one port, you've met one port, every port is very different. And I, if you have a port in your community and you don't know what they do, I would encourage you as a developer or as a citizen of that area to get familiar with it because they have tools that no other government agency has and they have an, a, a knife point uh, focus on creating opportunities for its residents. So. I'm a, a big booster of ports. That is terrific. Thank you. Thank you, Terry. Thank you, Catherine. And, uh, and thank you, Port of Everett. Um, so that wraps up this particular issue or this edition of Next Generation Waterfronts. This is Dan Martin. Thanks for listening.